What comes to mind when you hear the word worship? Worship. What's the first thing in your head? You don't have to shout it out. Just kind of grab onto it, lock into it. Worship. I would guess for most people who regularly attend church, what comes to mind is music. Some connection to music. Right. That, that's oftentimes it, it, worship music. Maybe you had a you know, you had something on in the car as you were coming here this morning. Or maybe more specifically, what came to mind was a time of worshiping God through music. For some of you, that might have been the case. Someone visiting a church might tell a friend, oh, they have great worship at that church. And the person knows what they're saying. Right. The person gets it. Other times, worship, that term could be referring to the Sunday morning service as a whole. It's one of the ways that we use it. Someone who missed church might ask a family member, how was worship today? And we get that. We understand what they're saying when we use the term in that way. But as wonderful as our times together can be, when we gather with God's people, when Christians think about the word worship, in terms of something that mainly happens at a particular time, in a particular place, maybe with a particular kind of music, maybe resulting in a particular kind of feeling, when we do that, we're missing something fundamental about the biblical teaching on worship. But this is where David can help us. I think this is where David can help us. David, you know him, yes, King David, David and Goliath, David, that David, almost half of all the Psalms, 73 to be exact, almost half of all the Psalms in this book that we call Psalms are attributed to David. Now, this is not surprising if you've read through the books of Samuel, because really one of the very first things that you learn about this man, David, even when he was young, right? He was like a teenager. One of the first things that you learn about him is that his musical ability was well known in the land of Israel. He was known for that, and he was eventually brought to be able to minister to King Saul. Remember that story? So we already know this about David. It shouldn't be surprising, but... You see the connection I made? I mentioned the book of Psalms and I mentioned David as a musician. Psalms are songs, aren't they? That sometimes throws people off. They don't necessarily make that connection. But Psalms, that biblical book, Psalms, is a collection of songs. Some of these songs, these are ancient songs, and some of these songs, if you read what's called the superscription, which is just that like little bit of information under the beginning of the psalm, Sometimes it will tell you who wrote it, but sometimes it'll tell you the tune. (laughs) It'll say, like, to this tune, this psalm is to the tune of dough by the gently flowing waters, or whatever it is in Hebrew. (laughs) So people might know that melody, but then they could apply these words of a particular psalm. So there's, and there's, there's kind of musical probably notation in here. That's what selah might be, a kind of rest or pause in that way. We don't quite know because there wasn't a musical notation system that got handed down with these psalms. These psalms are songs. Look at Psalm 47, 7 here on the screen. It's clear from that verse. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. 
There you go. There's the word. It's a song. Sing praises with a psalm. So how can David help us in terms of the fundamentals of worship? How can he guard us against that kind of myopia, right? That tunnel vision when it comes to this idea of worship? Well, he's actually going to use music. Speaking of myopia, he's, he's going to use music. One of the things we think about first when we hear the word worship, he's going to use music as a doorway to take us further into the fullness of genuine biblical worship. This morning, I'd like to use just one of David's psalms to do that very thing. Look with me at Psalm chapter 9 or Psalm 9. If you're there already, we're going to focus on the first two verses of this psalm. These are the words of David. I will give thanks to Yahweh. You see the all capital L-O-R-D there? For those who don't know, that's just a uh, way to notate that the divine name is there. In Hebrew, it's called the Tetragrammaton. That means four letters. The best, we, uh, a Hebrew doesn't have any vowels, so it's all consonants. So the best way that we can put that together, it seems like, is probably the name is Yahweh. It means the all-existing one, the ever-existing one, right? the one who just is. So this Yahweh, it's translated Lord here. I will give thanks to Yahweh, the God of Israel, with my whole heart, says David. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Does that sound like worship to you? Yeah, I don't think there's anybody that was kind of undeniable that this is an expression of worship that we're finding here in these opening verses of Psalm 9. Now, it may not be obvious at first what God has given us here. Remember, these are not only the words of David, they are also the inspired words of God. What, what has God given us here? He's given us reminders about the basics of worship. We could really, we could probably go anywhere in the book of Psalms and grab some verses and say, let's break this down. What are some of the fundamentals? What are the basics that are here? Now, there are different kinds of Psalms. I want to alert you to that fact. Part of what I'm doing here is getting you ready for the book of Psalms since we're just starting reading that together. Coming up for the next month or so, we'll be in the Psalms. There's 150 Psalms. So if we were to take each one, that would be almost half the year spent doing that. So we're going to do a survey of some of the best-known psalms, uh, give you kind of a variety. But by variety, I mean that there are different kinds of psalms. For example, Psalm 1, the very first psalm in the whole Psalter. What kind of psalm is it? It's a wisdom psalm. That's what it's called. It's a wisdom psalm. It's meant to communicate, to teach, to transmit wisdom. There are other psalms, like one that you'll read this week in Psalm 22. You remember the famous opening of Psalm 22? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's called a psalm of lament. And there are a ton of those in the Psalter. Songs of lament. But most of the psalms, especially David's psalms, are songs of worship. We find these scattered throughout the whole, the whole book of psalms. Not, of course, we, I don't want to say that worship is disconnected from teaching wisdom or that wis, worship is not part of crying out to God with a heavy heart through a song of lament. But these psalms, these worship psalms, they give us, these psalms of praise give us a really, really clear window into the fundamentals of biblical worship. 
Now, when I talk about worship, let me just throw in a little bit of an aside here. How, do I, how am I defining that term? Here's a really easy, you want the cheat sheet for worship? Go to Romans chapter 1. What you find in the back half of Romans chapter 1, when Paul was writing there, he just makes a really simple comparison and says, so all of these pagans out here, just like the Jews really, but really focusing on the pagans first, most of the world, all the nations, they are guilty before God. Why? Because they worship the creation. And Paul says this, they worship the creation rather, and they worship and serve the creation rather than the creator who is forever blessed. Amen. But if you back up like one verse from that or two verses, you find a definition for worship there, which is they not only worship the creation rather than the creator, but it says earlier, they did not honor God as God or give thanks to him. And that's probably the best definition of biblical worship right there. Not honoring God as God. Or honoring God as God. Worship is honoring God as God. Yeah, flip it around for the, for the people who are worshiping the creation. Is, uh, I'm not here to try to get you to be a worshiper. I'm here to affirm to you that you already are a worshiper. But God's word to you this morning is, what are you worshiping? Because you will always be worshiping something. There is not a moment in your life where you are not worshiping something. That is, you may not be honoring God as God. I pray that you are. I pray that I will be. But you are honoring something else as God. You are putting something up into that place and saying, this is my God. No, you're not making a statue of it and falling down and bowing before it or lighting incense in front of it. But you are allowing it to rule your life. It is ruling your priorities. How you spend your money, how you spend your time, you're building your identity off of it. That's worship. And the world around us is, is abuzz with that very thing all the time. So I'm not here to convince you to be a worshiper. I do want to persuade you to be a true worshiper. And we'll talk about that coming up. What is true worship? True worship is to honor God as God. So what exactly do we find here in Psalm 9 that can really help us with this? What we find here in Psalm 9, in fact, can be found all over the book of Psalms. And what we have here is, let's say we're, uh, let's picture this as entering David's school of worship, right? David is going to instruct us this morning. He's going to help us. But you can find his instruction using the Psalms as, a, as your curriculum. You can find it all over this book. Here are three things that we're going to discover from David's instruction. You'll see these on the screen, one of the screens. Number one, worship is a response to the truth about God. Worship is a response to the truth about God. Number two, worship flows from the heart. And number three, worship will find expression outwardly. Let me hit those again. Worship is a response to the truth about God, number one. Worship flows from the heart. And number three, worship will find expression outwardly. Truth, heart, expression. Truth, heart, expression. So first consider this with me. The truth, consider the truth about what God has revealed concerning himself. That truth 
revealed here, what is the truth revealed here that fuels the psalmist's worship throughout this psalm, or at least in these opening lines, it comes across very clearly that David is worshiping God. Well, here's the truth that's revealed in these two verses at least. First, God is identified how? He's not addressed as God, he's addressed as Yahweh. And when you address God as Yahweh, you are addressing Him as the covenant God of Israel. In fact, you are, you are uh, connecting Him with how God revealed Himself to Moses at the burning bush. Remember that story? He said, I am who I am. That's in, he- in Hebrew, that's Yahweh. It's related to the name Yahweh, yeah, the all-existing one. So that's where he, that God reconfirmed this name, revealed it in a powerful way. So David is driven in his praise. He's, he's crying out to Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. What else do we learn about God here? He is also identified at the end of verse 2 as what? As who? El Elyon. El Elyon. That means he is God most high. God Most High. He is the ruler over every ruler. He is the God over every so-called God. So just the way David is addressing God tells us something about how David knows God. And, and, and that reality of who God is is driving his worship. Right? It's driving his worship. Third, I want you to see in these two verses that David refers in verse 1 to God's wonderful deeds. What exactly does he have in mind here is a question that we would want to ask. What deeds is David talking about? Well, since he's focused on Yahweh, the name that God revealed to Moses in that unique way, maybe David's thinking about Israel's deliverance from Egypt. Maybe he has that in mind. He's thinking about all the ways that God revealed his power in that Exodus story. Maybe. But if we were to actually just continue through the psalm, what do we know about interpreting the Bible? Just like the realtors say, here's the most important thing, right, one, Location, location, location. They like to say that. Preachers like to say, pastors like to say, context, context, context. So if we want an answer for understanding what's drive, this truth that's driving the worship here, We should look at this immediate context first before maybe going over to the Exodus story, even though the name Yahweh and the the name El Elyon, the Most High God, are really tantalizing and they connect us to so much in Scripture. If we looked at the context here, if we were to continue through the psalm, we won't read everything, but we would discover that God's deeds, the deeds he's talking about here, are deeds that David... They are on display in David's life. They're actually wonderful deeds that God is doing in David's life. Look at verse 3. David's enemies turn back and they stumble. They perish. David's giving thanks about that victory. Verse 4. God has maintained David's just cause. Verse 5. God has rebuked the nations. Verse 9, God has been a stronghold in times of trouble. But notice right there how what God has done reveals truth about who God is. He is a stronghold, isn't He? Right? He is a stronghold for His people. 
Look at verses 7 and 8. But Yahweh sits enthroned forever. He has established His throne for justice and He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. What is that saying? It's saying that God's deeds, judgment against David's enemies and judgment for David in His favor, upholding His cause, reveals that God is a righteous judge over all things, over all people. And he's sitting firmly on his throne and his judgments will be put into effect in his good timing. But in the end, he will always do what is just. He will do what is right because he is a righteous judge, the righteous judge. But don't forget verse 9, God is revealed as a stronghold for the oppressed. David experienced him as a stronghold in times of trouble. It reveals that he is a stronghold for the oppressed, all those who were oppressed. Thus, verse 10, those who know your name, not specifically just his name, it's those who know you, who you have revealed yourself to be, those people who know that, they put their trust in you. Whether it's Yahweh, whether it's God Most High, whatever the name, the title, El Shaddai, the Almighty God, those who know who you've revealed yourself to be, David says, they put their, their trust in you. Why? Because he is faithful. He is consistent. He is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Those words apply to Jesus, right? Later on in Hebrews 13. He is the same. He does not change. David says this about the God who punishes the wicked and redeems the righteous. Verse 16, take a look. Yahweh has done what? He has made himself known. It's not a mystery. It's not a mystery. We don't have to resort to the higher power of AA, right? Like that ambiguous, amorphous, just kind of generic God so that nobody's feathers get ruffled. No, no, no. We know who this higher power is. We know the truth about God. He has made Himself known. He has executed judgment as He talks about here. And so David worships as a response to that truth. What we find in the opening verses of this psalm is a response to who God has revealed Himself or confirmed Himself to be in David's life. Who has God revealed Himself to be or confirmed Himself to be in your life, brother, sister? Do you take the time to think about that? Who has He revealed Himself to be? What has He confirmed about Himself in your life? And is it driving you to worship? True worship is always a response to the truth about God. Thus, there is no worship of God. There is no true worship of God apart from the truth about God. Let me say that again. There is no true worship of God apart from the truth about God. Let's go on to the next point. It's also extremely important as we look at those first two verses of Psalm 9. Extremely important to understand that the response we call worship begins in the heart. That's where it starts. No book talks about the heart. And the heart is just kind of a uh, general way in, in, among the, the Hebrews to talk about the inner self, right? That inner self, your, 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 your mind, your will, the emotions, all of that is kind of that inward you. That's the heart. And no book in the Old Testament, I don't think any book in the Bible has as many references to the heart as the book of Psalms. 
David mentions his heart right away in verse 1. Did you see that? I will give thanks to Yahweh with my whole heart. My whole heart. He wants to make clear that his worship is not half-hearted worship. It is wholehearted worship. It is everything that he's bringing to the table. Just look back over verses 1 and 2. Look at those verses again and think about what they tell us about David's hearts. He's grateful, isn't he? Do you see that? We could say that about David. He's grateful. I will give thanks. So when David talks about his heart here, his whole heart, he's telling us something about the depth or the extent of his thankfulness. This is how thankful I am. My whole heart. He's also, I could, we could also say this, in addition to him being grateful, what else do we know about David's heart? He's also in awe of God. Do you see that? He's in awe of God. I will recount all of your deeds. Ah, it doesn't say that. It says, I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. Same word is translated as wondrous. It's translated as marvelous in many places. That's the word here. David is in awe of the deeds of God. They are wondrous. They are marvelous. In light of what God has done, yes, in a big broad way, but in David's own life, in his own journey, in his own experience, God has shown his wonders. David is in awe of that. Finally, we read in verse 2 that there is gladness. There is a gladness. There is a joy welling up in David. He says, I will be glad and exult in you. So if we're talking about true biblical worship, we are always talking about from the heart worship. When the truth about who God is and what God has done collides with David's heart, it begins to fuel worship. It sparks worship by stirring up things like gratitude to God, awe of God, joy in God. Do you see that in those verses? The gratitude, the awe, the joy. Let's go to a third point here, that third point. In most cases, this is not where it stops, right? It doesn't simply stop there. God is certainly honored. I would not want to say that. God is certainly honored when you are grateful for what He and He alone has accomplished in your life. You're just sitting there in your big lazy boy or whatever at home, right? And you are enjoying your favorite show and you've got your 44-ounce thirst buster and you're just like, you know what? I'm grateful. I am grateful to God for His blessings. You may not even say it out loud. You just think in your heart, you're grateful. God is honored by that. So I'm not saying that. But when the Bible talks about worship, in most cases, it usually includes an outward expression of that inward response. It is coming to the surface. It is showing itself in some way. So, for example, if David is grateful to God for, verse 4, maintaining David's just cause, David ruled in his favor, right, and maintained, upheld him, not allowing injustice to triumph in his life, not allowing his enemies, these pagan enemies, to, to triumph over him. If that's happening, if that has happened in David's life, those are the wonderful deeds of God in his life, then David's gratitude, his heart gratitude will be expressed in worship. We have to ask, what kind of worship? The giving of thanks. That's what it looks like when it breaks to the surface. He's actually giving thanks to God. 
There's a holiday called Thanksgiving. Is that it? Is that, do I have that right? Thanksgiving, right? That's, that's a holiday, which should be a holiday of worship, right? Because the giving of thanks is worship. As we see here, David welling up. I will give thanks to Yahweh with my whole heart. God is glorified when we sincerely acknowledge His gifts and we acknowledge Him as the giver of those gifts with sincere appreciation. What about the awe that filled David's heart in light of God's amazing works? Well, David was going to worship God, as he says here. He's going to worship God by doing what? By recounting all of your wonderful deeds. Why keep that to yourself, people? If you're in awe of God, shout it out. Talk about what God has done. Testify to what He has done. Make it known among His people that God has upheld you, that He has carried you, that He has loved you, that He has blessed you, that He has been by your side in the worst of times. Talk about those things. That's a call that we see throughout the Psalms, right? Testify of His marvelous deeds among the, in the great congregation. Uh, we even read later in Psalm 145, I love it. Uh, it says, one generation, to, I think it's on the screen, we'll have it on the screen. One generation shall commend your works, your deeds to another and shall declare your mighty acts to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds. That sounds like a healthy community, worshiping community right there. So when we proclaim, you know, we honor God when we glorify God, when we proclaim what He's done, when we detail, when we rehearse, when we remind each other of His powerful works, His wonders, His miracles, His mighty acts. And those don't have to be like, oh, my arm got chopped off and God healed it. A new arm popped out. No, I don't know anybody... If that has happened to you, come and see me afterwards. But for most of us, we're able to say, God did this in my life this week. He was there for me in this way. I thought I was going to just crack to pieces this last week. He held me together. And he got me through a very tough time. When I felt most alone, he reminded me that he's standing with me. He's standing with me. When I felt most beaten down by this world, he reminded me that I have a forever home in his presence. And He will bring me there one day. If He did that, tell somebody that. And when you do that, you're worshiping. You're worshiping. What about gladness or joy? Talked about the heart. Remember we said gratitude and awe and joy in David's heart. How was it manifest? How was it expressed? Well, according to David, it was going to be expressed in exulting your favorite word. No, not exalting, exulting. <laughs> not a word we use a lot, exulting. Verse 2, I will be glad and exult in you. What is exultation? What is exulting? It's simply an outward expression of joy, jubilation. It's like a wahoo or a yeehaw or a yes. Right? I don't know what you, you think of a better word. I, I was trying to think of this last night. What's like a good word for that like outward expression of joy? Any Any... Anybody think come to mind? That's what I had wahoo, yeehaw, and yes. So maybe in other cultures there's better words for that, but I think you guys get the point. That's exalting. David actually goes on in the second half of the verse to explain how he's going to exult. Do you see that? He's going to exult by singing praises to this amazing God. 
So you can sing. That joy can come out of you through song. And you can, you can worship God in that way. Like I said, most people think of that right away. That's like the first thing they go to. But worship is so much bigger than just the singing of a song. So think again with me, brothers and sisters, friends. Think about the lessons that we can draw from these first two verses of Psalm 9. Especially as they are representative of hundreds and hundreds of other similar verses in the Psalms. What did we learn here? We learned, or we were reminded that, I think we have them on the screen again, worship is a response to the truth about God, right? You can't just self-generate it like, I'm going to be worshipful today. If you want to be worshipful today, get your eyes on God. Rehearse His truth. That's how it happens. It just doesn't come out of thin air. Worship is a response to the truth about God. Number two, worship flows from the heart. And number three, worship will find expression outwardly. Truth, heart, expression. Now, think with me about why all of this is so important. Why are those three ideas so important? If and when we neglect some of these worship fundamentals, when we get locked into thinking, you know, oh, it's great worship today, and we mean just singing on Sunday morning, right, or singing at some concert or whatever, when we do that, we can find ourselves on a very dangerous path. For example, when Israel, the very people, of course, who these songs were written for, they used these psalms in their corporate worship. When they adhered to certain forms or expressions of worship, like, for example, the offering up of an animal sacrifice of thanksgiving. I'm going to make a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God. When they did that, but it was not an expression of sincere gratitude... It was just done to do it. It was just, it was just a sacrifice to be offered. That's not worship. It wasn't really worship. The dangerous thing about that though is they had fooled themselves into thinking they had worshiped. Did you worship today? Oh, yep. I went down there and offered that sacrifice of thanksgiving. You didn't answer my question. Did you worship today? Did you worship today? Yeah, I went to church. Didn't answer my question. Yeah, I did. I sang all the songs they had. Didn't answer the question. Did you worship? If someone today were to emotionally sing, I'm in awe of you, God. Eyes closed, hands raised on Sunday morning, and yet treat God as inconsequential Monday through Saturday, the outward expression of his or her life is calling into question the validity of a truly worshipful heart. Those things don't go together in Scripture. Can they at times? Yes. We can all have very crummy weeks, <laughs> right? Where meaningfully we sing to God on Sunday and then we are just crushed the rest of the week and we are distracted and we are detoured in that life. But if that's the pattern of our lives, we do not need to fall into that trap of thinking, well, I had worship, I worshiped God, and yet my life is patently unchanged. It's not impacted by that worship. For both the ancient and modern readers, David's lessons here, David's examples in the Psalms are extremely helpful. If the Psalms are, for the most part, a book of worship, then we must allow God to use these songs to teach us, to grow us as worshipers. They can safeguard us from worship distortions, worship pitfalls, 
while at the same time, they can help us honor God in spirit and truth. That phrase sound familiar to you? In spirit and truth? It should. Those are the words of Jesus. Jesus used that phrase. And what was he talking about when he used that phrase? He was talking about worship, wasn't he? He was talking about worship. Because Christ came, because of what He revealed about the Father, because He fulfilled all of the Old Testament shadows and symbols, because He fulfilled God's purposes for all peoples, for all nations, when we talk about worship today, we are not talking about, we are no longer talking about worship tied to a particular sacred location. We are not talking about worship connected to a set of sacred rituals that have now become obsolete. No, we are talking about always worshiping in spirit and truth. That's the only true worship today. In spirit and truth. As Jesus said in John 4.23, take a look. The hour is coming and is now here. When true worshipers, there it is, true worshipers, true worship, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. That's the question God has for you this morning. Is it your desire to worship God? Do you want to be a true worshiper of God? Notice what that assumes, that phrase. It assumes, the, wor- the phrase true worshipers assumes there will be false worshipers as well. So how can we know whether we are true or false worshipers? Well, I think we can know through the Spirit of God in light of the truth Jesus Christ revealed. Spirit, truth. And that truth, of course, connects us back to all of Scripture, including the Psalms. So when we embrace the truth of the Gospel that we've already sung about this morning, the good news about Jesus, and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, guess what happens? We are reconciled in a way we never could have been before. We are gloriously reconciled to the only one, capital O, who is worthy of our worship. Wow. Most of the work's already been done for you. (laughs) You're already reconciled to the one who should be worshipped. The Father who is seeking those worshippers. And guess what? He sought you and He brought you home through His Son who laid you on His shoulders like a shepherd going after a stray sheep. And He brought you home. And now you're reconciled to the one who, who alone is worthy of worship. He is your Father. He is your God. We are reconciled to this one. And when that happens, we are then empowered in a new way to learn, for example, what a book like the Psalms can teach us about worshiping God. We come with the mind of Christ. We come knowing the God who saves, the God of David, and knowing Him in a way that David did not know Him. The Son of David empowers us to truly live in light of David's lessons about worship here. Is that wonderful news? Yes. 
So for example, if it's your desire to engage in genuine worship, to be a true worshiper, then let me give you some encouragements. Number one, take a look. Number one, meditate regularly on the truth that inspires true worship. There is always this temptation to take what we know about God for granted. Oh yeah, I know God. Yeah. Made the world, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, right. Did all this stuff. Ruler, king, woo, you know. I know God. We just kind of take it for granted and we get on with our life. What else is new, right? What's the newest thing? Swipe, swipe, swipe on social media, right? That's what we're, we take that truth for granted. We allow the knowledge we have of God to cool into interesting information rather than radical revelation. But we want to keep fanning that flame in our hearts, don't we? That it's radical revelation, not just becoming interesting information. Maybe we're tempted instead to focus on the Bible as a moral guidebook. Oh, look, oh, look. I'm right about the argument. Here is that verse. Oh, look, this policy of this politician. Right? And we get so caught up in the Bible as some kind of compendium to support our agenda. We we use it as some kind of interesting book that maybe knowledge becomes our, our shibboleth. Look it up. Becomes our shibboleth to be able to say, oh, I'm good in the church. People respect me because I have Bible knowledge. We have to safeguard ourselves, brothers and sisters, from seeing the Bible simply as a moral guidebook rather than a beautiful divine biography. When we lose sight of who God truly is and what God has actually done, we will always remain uninspired when it comes to true worship. Because it's the truth about who God is and what He's done that fuels worship. Instead, as we talked about last week, let's set our hearts to grow in knowledge and faith in light of the truth about the reality. Sometimes you have to like just smack yourself right across the face, metaphorically speaking, of course. You have to smack yourself and say, this is real. God is real. He reigns right now. Smack! Smack! Wake up, you idiot! Right? Start living in light of that reality. I have to do that at least. I don't know about you. (laughs) But we get so dumbed down by our culture. We get so dumbed down by trying to live by sight. We lose traction when it comes to faith. And we have to steep ourselves in that and strengthen ourselves in that. Genuine worship will be our response as we grow in that way in light of our big, big God. Number two, guard yourself against heartless worship. Flows right out of what we saw this morning. Guard yourself against heartless worship. Another common temptation we have in the Christian life is to sing or give thanks or participate in the Lord's table or give an offering. And then I tell myself, I've worshiped God. And yet, where is my heart in all of these things? I know that's a hard question at times. But we need to ask it. If those things, those acts of worship are not flowing from a heart of worship, I need to acknowledge that. I need to stop and I need to acknowledge that is true. Is there still value in participating in such things? Yes, there is value, but there's only value if you go in with eyes wide open, a clear acknowledgement of both where you actually are and where God wants you, where He's calling you to be. 
If you don't have that, no, there's no value in participating in those things. You're a clanging gong. You're getting, dis- dis- you're getting distracted and you're getting detoured away from the truth. Because the more you go through the motions of that act and call it worship and tell yourself that, as James says, you deceive yourself. Just like those who hear the word and will not obey it, you deceive yourself. We have to guard against that, brothers and sisters. This should inform our prayers when we're in places like that. We should guard against that rote obedience that the the Scriptures warn us about. So guard yourself against against heartless worship. Maybe stop and say, when I come to worship God on Sunday mornings, am I bringing my whole heart to God in those times? If you're not, stop and think about, pray about, ask God to give you understanding of your heart. Talk to a brother or sister about that. How can we encourage each other in those things? Number three, grow in the wide variety of ways to worship God. We need to break this music stranglehold. (laughs) Music is beautiful. It is wonderful. It is all over the word, but it alone is not synonymous with worship. It just is not. So we need to widen like we've seen this morning. In this psalm, David worshiped God, and he did it how? By giving thanks to God. He was recounting God's wondrous deeds. And he was rejoicing in God through song. There's that. But it was part of a number of things that he did, ways to express worship to God. In all of these things, David was honoring God as God. And as we saw before, that's worship. And and all of those things should be regular expressions of your own faith-filled heart. You should be doing those things, giving thanks to God. Maybe you tell it to somebody, maybe you journal it. Maybe you recount to somebody what God did in your life that past week. Maybe you just journal it. Maybe you just write it down. I don't know how you want to express it. Maybe you write a song out of it like David did, you know. You you dabble at that. You write a poem, something like that. You, You worship God in that way. All of those things should be regular expressions of your own faith filled heart on Sunday, but also on Monday through Saturday. That is true worship. But let me finish with what Paul, our brother Paul, taught us about worshiping as followers of Christ. You may have thought of this one when the topic came up this morning. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Listen to what Paul says. A good Jew, like Paul, says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, in light of the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your Spiritual worship. Ooh, wow. He's using Old Testament imagery, isn't he? And, and just so they know that they shouldn't go out and like offer themselves like, you know, he's like, it's a living sacrifice. Let me, let me make that clear. I, was that clear? Living sacrifice. You offer your body as a worshiper would bring a sacrifice to God in the Old Testament. You bring every day yourself to God and offer yourself up to Him as an act of worship. That truly is an amazing thing. When we offer, when we worship God by offering ourselves every single day to Him, inspired by the truth of who God is and what He's done, we do this from the heart, don't we? Responding to God. When we express that by allowing every part of our lives to be used in a worshipful way. God, I want to offer you by giving my whole body, my whole day, my whole life to you. 
be honored as God in all that I am doing today, in my giving, in my going, in my sharing, in my caring, in my speaking, in my listening, in my repenting, in my confessing, in my obedience. May the fruit of your spirit, God, in light of Jesus, the truth, overflow as worship in my life. Isn't that a beautiful picture? In spirit and truth. And friends, in light of Christ, son of David, in light of David and what he's modeled for us here in Psalm 9, it is that life that should then drive your singing. Drive the music. We can't get those out of order. (laughs) That's how we want to understand the fundamentals of worship. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and ask God to help us in this this very way.